Welcome to episode 11 of Cyclops is Waiting for Me, an X-Men the Animated Series weekly recap podcast. I'm JC and I'm tired right now. <laughs> and I'm Rod and I'm also a little tired, probably not as quite as tired as JC. Look up my music on Spotify. I think I plug that every few episodes. You do. You're good at that. <laughs> Cyclops is Waiting for Me is our weekly podcast series where we're going back and watching every single episode of the original 1992 X-Men the Animated Series in their original intended script order, building up to the release of X-Men 97 coming to Disney Plus hopefully in 2023. I'm not counting on anything these days. Well, that got dark. Some quick reminders. We are a recap show about a series that came out 30 years ago. There will be spoilers. And if you don't want it spoiled for you, pause the podcast, watch the episode. Maybe you watch it on Disney Plus. Maybe you have DVDs from it. They are still actually on Amazon. I saw it the other day. And then come back after you've watched it because that's the most important part is that you come back and listen to the show because otherwise Spotify is going to be really confused as to our audience being 100% male at this point. <laughs> we will do our best though to avoid mentioning anything about future episodes that we haven't covered yet, but comics and stuff like that, fair game. And we are currently not sponsored or affiliated with Disney, Disney Plus. Technically, are we, we're not associated to Amazon. I, that, I just gave them free advertisement. Yeah. Yeah. They can send us money though. Or I, I guess mean, I general. guess I'm affiliated with Amazon because of Twitch. Oh, okay. I was gonna say, because we give them money. <laughs> So that's that the opposite of affiliated if we're giving them money <laughs> on that note don't forget to follow us on social media at cyclops iwfm pod on twitter instagram and facebook you can get a little like previews of the episodes because john makes these cool like videos of like 20 30 second clips so you know what you're kind of getting I was, I was gonna say you could know what you're getting into really they're all out of context they're have... all completely out of context <laughs> i'm pretty sure the images i choose aren't even in context to the quotes that we pick most of the time they match the characters, at least. No, they don't. Oh, I they think don't? we're 50-50. Okay. <laughs> Finally, we record these episodes in batches right now, so if we're reacting to any news about the upcoming series, we're probably a few weeks behind. Before, we thought that that was just news on the series, and now with the whole Doctor Strange and Spider-Man and multiverses, and th we don't know what's going to affect what, so just, just pretend that we said something relevant about that. I just picture the SpongeBob, like, rainbow meme. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just... Don't give a shit. Yeah. Yep. On to the show. Today, we're going to be talking about episode 13, which is the season finale of season one called The Final Decision. It aired on March 27th of 1993 and is currently a 8.3 on IMDb. And the first thing I will start out with, reading Eric Leewald's book, which you could also get on Amazon. Wow, I really should put an affiliate <laughs> link called Previously on X-Men, the animated series. Eric mentions the title of the episode was purposefully close to The Final Solution. Oh, okay. Yeah. We are not shying away from Magneto's past, being a survivor of the Holocaust or anything like that at this point. That's the route we're taking. And this could have almost, almost, I say with asterisks, been like Days of Future Past Part 3. It really could have, especially as we were alluding to in our previous episode slash episodes, maybe, because I don't know how many episodes that actually turned into. We don't know if Bishop was successful in preventing the assassination. We just know he prevented Ish Gambit from yeah. assassinating. So the episode starts, there are anti-mutant riots going on. It's being covered on TV. There's a response to the kidnapping. It, it feels like a little bit of time has, has gone by at this point, at the very least a few days, but there's definitely an anti-mutant fever. That's what the word was. Fever, Rob. Oh. That's what I wrote down in my notes. This in, is the second time we've figured out words for you. Yeah, it's <laughs> amazing when I start talking and stuff starts to make sense. And Professor X decides he's going to try to figure out where Magneto, given that he knows that it's got to be Magneto because of magnetism and 
can't have two villains with magnetic powers. And he's gonna use Cerebro to, to try to find them. That jumps over to a beached tanker ship. We're beached, I, that's not the right word, but I can't think of a better one for yeah, it. Yeah, it's just like an old ship that's not in water. Well, it's and still in the water, but it's not moving. Yeah, it's it's crashed or wrecked or... Yeah, there's a there's a nautical phrase that we're missing. <laughs> and Senator Kelly is like, what do you want? And Magneto says, I want your life, where I don't know if this has taken a few days why Magneto hasn't killed him yet. There are some flaws in Magneto's plan right now. Well, he wanted to give this long monologue. Before. He wanted to give a monologue. So he's been monologuing for at least a few days at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he wants to take this action against Senator Kelly while the mutants are strong and humankind is divided. I don't know where his perspective is that the humans are divided and the mutants are strong <laughs> because you have three splinter groups right now where you have the yeah. X-Men, you have Apocalypse's crew, which I don't know if Magneto even knows about Apocalypse's crew. And then you have Magneto with just Sabretooth. Mm -hmm. and his legions of invisible which we've not seen the legions because in in the comics you have the brotherhood of evil mutants which are his legion but the members of the brotherhood are people like the blob <laughs> and so far we've only been shown humans that dislike mutants yeah you're not hordes. getting a lot of pro mutant sentimentality at least yeah. especially after the kidnapping has taken place also how did Magneto know about the assassination attempt on Kelly? Or was that pure coincidence? That was an interesting like flashback with Magneto just hovering outside the window, just like looking in. Cause he did the way he said it, it definitely felt like he had some intel, like he knew Mystique or something. And the movies established a relationship between Mystique and Magneto from the get-go. The animated series hasn't. No, at, at this point, there has been no line drawn between those two yet. So we don't know yeah what that context is especially the way he worded it made it sound like that he had that information for whatever reason but the imagery you're given without that monologue is that he's just waiting outside senator kelly's office looking in the window no one sees a flying man in a giant magenta suit yep we get further backstory on magneto where he he says as a child he saw men women and children executed and he vows never again Again, going towards Magneto's comic origin related to the Holocaust, which, you know, like we've talked about in previous episodes, has never been point blank said. But the reference to men, women, and children being executed is definitely the strongest they've, they've said to, to give you that sort of connection. He's about to crush Senator Kelly with a giant piece of machinery, something within the engine room, I'm assuming, because I don't know how boats work. And he says, the mutant liberation begins. And right as he's about to crush Senator Kelly, a sentinel hand comes in for the save, ripping part of the ship open. And then they, they attack Magneto. And Magneto tries to do his thing and nothing happens. Yep. And the Sentinels. They have the all plastic series, which yeah. props to them for thinking about that, knowing yeah. knowing enough that Magneto is that dangerous that they need the plastic series. And we'll say that they did that earlier on when all that the Master Mole needed was electricity because maybe he was able to synthesize plastic out of something else. I don't know. I'm trying to make up stuff. But yep. the, yeah, the advanced, also, advanced 3D printers before that phrase was a thing. Right. Yep. And also, the Sentinels felt the need to monologue just a little bit to Magneto. <laughs> well, we've established, even in the future, Sentinels are kind of dicks. Yeah. Because it's like, huh, here's how we defeat you. Yeah, and, and they change size all the time. Yeah, but I did like, well, Magneto's like, okay, cool. You might be plastic, 
but I have a giant boat of metal surrounding me. And he takes all of the, the nails and he essentially uses them as bullets. It's a little reminiscent of the episode where Jean is helping rebuild the X-Mansion. Oh yeah. And she shoots the nails into the pane of steel like they're bullets. Magneto? does the opposite here yeah. he takes the the nails out of the the like panes of the ship themselves panes is not the right word i don't build pa ships uh, like panels panels let's yeah. go with panels that's probably still also wrong <laughs> and then shoots those at the sentinels like bullets but unfortunately he, he gets overwhelmed because there's a full team of sentinels that that take him out yeah because you know good point you're surrounded by metal but there's more I guess plastic things around you. Yeah, they're they're not just plastic things. They are plastic things that shoot lasers. Yeah, and a little side note: as much as we criticize the X Men movies, rightfully so, mm -hmm. one of the cool things I think they did, besides some like really key casting, is they acknowledged how dangerous Magneto's powers are and always isolating him. And so, like in the show. It, it, it's a nice detail to put him in a place like, oh, my, my secret hiding place is like a giant metal ship or something. Yeah. You know? I'm literally surrounding myself with weapons. Yeah. Yeah. The full team shows up and discovers Magneto. And even though it was mentioned earlier that the only time we saw blood in the series was the saber tooth swipe on Wolverine's stomach, when they reveal an injured Magneto, which, by the way, Rogue is like, all right, he's kind of under here, so be ready to shoot as yeah. I pick this thing up. Cyclops is ready to blast him. So it's like, do you think he's that good at playing hide and seek, Cyclops? Or are you yeah. just, again, ready to fight everybody? I, mean, I guess to, he's gonna be like this anyway, but to their, all their credits, they did like enter getting ready to fight, and yeah. they're like, oh, it's already over. Mm. And yeah. funny you say that about the blood on Magneto's abs. It, that injury looked much worse than any injury that Logan had in previous episodes. Or maybe they got through standards and practices because they argued that it wasn't actually blood. It was just the way that his abs ripped through the fabric jeez. material. Oh, geez. But also, for an old dude, those were abs. Those those were right? not like, here's the gambit. He's got the, the, the plate that built the ab on yeah. top of it. We see some legit abs off of Magnus. And if you do the math, or even the the hypothetical war that Magnus had survived, he's not a spring chicken. If he was a child during that <laughs> hypothetical war from the 1940s, yeah. that means the dude's in his 50s at this point, at and least. Good on you, man. Yep. Like to be, I I couldn't do that in the prime of my time. <laughs> yeah, we can't do that right now. So we we see Trask with Senator Kelly. It's revealed that, you know, Trask was behind the plan to save him from Magneto. And he basically says, I need a presidential order where the Sentinels are going to be in charge of controlling mutants. And Senator Kelly says, yeah, when I'm elected president, you're totally getting that. And then there's some arbitrary order. I think it was to bring Kelly back home. And the Sentinels just go, no. Yeah. Like, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah, and then Trask looks at Master Mold and is like, this one's defective. It just said no, and the Master Mold's like, nah, this is how it yeah, is. We're not listening to you anymore, <laughs> dude. Uh, I'm wireless now. I'm yeah. going to be stuck with a plug in the back of my foot. Which that is just the best weakness ever. He's literally just stuck to the wall with a plug. <laughs> Go back to the Slave Island episode if you want to hear us react yeah. to that one. Master Mold then gives... A plan that only a cartoon villain could could give and still be taken seriously, which is we're going to remove Senator Kelly's brain, replace it with a computer, 
That's the exact phrasing is yeah. replace it with a computer and then we're going to control him. And then expand that plan to all the world leaders. Yep. There is just a arbitrary group of world leaders, different countries, different nationalities, some definitely also within the United States. So Congress, Senator, there was definitely somebody from the Middle East that was shown. So they were they were they were planning for expansion. We theorize that this was what the master mold's plan is going to be, as opposed to them actually in the act of kidnapping those people. Yeah. Because as we'll explain later on, we never see those people again. So either it was the plan or they all died off camera. To be fair, depending on which version of the timeline you're on, the public might've thought that was a favor. Yeah. <laughs> so jump back to the, to the mansion. They decide to scan Gambit's memories to see who he remembered from Genosha with regard to the faces associated with the Sentinel program. Yeah. Which I love everyone's reaction to that, including Gambit's is like, are you sure you want to scan my mind? <laughs> yeah. And then Rod made the great, great comment of, they probably should have asked Jubilee to leave the room. <laughs> like, Jubilee, uh, you're still not 18 yet. You should leave. Because nope. we don't know what we're about to see. So the memories in Gambit's mind are not necessarily in an order, but you have Bishop, most recently. You have a woman who, Rod, in your research, who is the woman? I couldn't find her. I had so the only people I recognize in that lineup. Well, I recognize that the woman with the braided hair was important. I couldn't find out who she was. And so that was Belladonna. I did not name, know that name. Nope. So but she is a member of the Assassins Guild. Okay. Which comics? There's the Thieves Guild. There's huh. the Assassins Guild. There's crossovers. I was assuming are they rivals? Not necessarily rivals, but not necessarily allies either. Okay. Yep. You have a memory of Rogue that definitely was stored at the forefront of Gambit's recent memories. And also proud of him for that being the, the only, only thing, one. thing that we saw. Yep. And that her face being the only thing we saw in that broadcasted memory. <laughs> and then, Rod, I know you were chomping at the bit. The other one you recognized. Oh, it was Ghost Rider. Yep. I just because of Skull, Firehead. You know how many of those are there in that universe? Do you have a prediction of which Ghost Rider it is? So I only know that there's more than one because of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show. At, it, the, at the time when this show happened, I thought there was only one Ghost Rider. So at that point, there were two. Wow. There was Johnny Blaze, mm -hmm. the original Ghost Rider, and Danny Ketch. So Johnny Blaze is the one with the bike, right? Johnny and Danny are very similar. Okay. It's actually, it's very hard to tell the two of them apart if you don't have context from the books. Because so. there's one of them that has the car. Which is Robbie, and Robbie okay. wasn't introduced until the 2000s. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. But yeah, so you see Ghost Rider, which... I, I love this because it is just a furthering of the Marvel Universe within these cartoons outside of just the X-Men characters, something mm -hmm. that up until recently with all the Fox acquisition and such, we weren't even seeing in the movies because all of them were licensed off differently. Here, this was when Marvel owned the rights to everything, so they were actually able to interject characters from alternate licensing IP. You know, that's why you would be able to see, in theory, Spider-Man in an X-Men cartoon and X-Men in a Spider-Man cartoon. So. And I know at this time as a kid, I knew who Ghost Rider was. I don't have a specific memory of being excited of seeing him flash across memory, but I know I, there's a 99% chance that when that, that happened on the show, I freaked out because I was like, in what context was Gambit interacting with Ghost Rider? Yep. And then they didn't continue the story. And then we didn't get any continuation <laughs> of the story. And then it flashes back to Master Mold and you see Gyrick. And they have the computer, which can reference, what was it, thousands of of, of pictures of other people? They yeah. it, was, it was like, wow, for not having the internet back then, they had some dope technology. Yeah, once again, Spider-Man <laughs> following everybody, I don't know. 
I mean, just the image recognition at that point. Yeah, like, yeah. Our, damn, our our computers were only able to start doing that on our phones. Like Facebook, Facebook was really when that started. Yeah. Like, oh, would you like to tag Rod? And it's like, how do you know who Rod is? Yeah, and even my phone does that now. It's yep. kind of scary. As your text messaging started like recognizing things. Yeah. Yeah, my my calendar starts reminding me about things that I've messaged people. Nice. <laughs> so the X-Men decide they are going to go to find Gyrick because he's their best lead as to any association to the Sentinels. And he, everyone's thankful that that's all they got out of Gambit's mind. Yep. He is trying to call Trask. Trask isn't picking up his phone. Gyrick is mad about that. So they're driving. Gyrick has a driver and they decide to stop it by causing a crash on ice, risking killing both members of, of you know, the, yeah. the driver and Gyrick. Gyrick starts to run run away. I I don't think the animators knew the layout of Washington DC very well <laughs> because it looked like they were driving like not fully in the mountains, but not like, in the deep city. Yeah, like in woods or something. And then Gyrick is able to run inside to a building in front of the Lincoln Memorial, which let's let's it's not yeah, inside. Yeah, yeah, and also there's no wood like that I know of. They get yeah. woods around there. Yeah, there there are just architectural issues all over the place <laughs> with this episode. And Wolverine is creepily sitting on Lincoln. Yeah. Because they knew he was going to, like, I mean, Wolverine's hunter senses, man. He yeah. he knows. And as as they're detaining Gyrick, Trask pops onto his phone, which... That was interesting. It was like walkie-talkie style. It was almost like what we would have years later with the Nextel phones. Oh, was that what that was? It's not, I don't think, what it was. It was just... It, like, it was a flip phone. It was a flip phone. Which, 1993, I don't think that was... If that was a thing, it wasn't common. It was not common, but how thick it was made it okay. acceptable, I because feel like. Because when I went to college in 2001, I still had a Nokia phone that was not a flip phone. Mm. So it's wild to think like a decade earlier. It's Because that looks modern -ish. Well, there were there were the big brick phones. Yeah. Then there was the one where the flip there was a flip, and then it went to the Nokias, and then you started going back to the Razors. Okay. So, yeah, phone history. So I, I, so I guess like the... the the grace of animation is that it could like kind of like our heads will just fill in the gap or whatever we yep. last knew. We knew it was a phone. Yeah. <laughs> so Trask just kind of shouts the plan into into the phone. The great plan. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like just I hope you're listening. Gyrick says to the X-Men, it's too late to stop. Master Molly's already made thousands. Which is an upgrade from the hundred. Yeah. Definitely an upgrade from their original <laughs> intent of a hundred. They're using plastic now, more easy to get, I guess. I don't know. Yep. There is a reconvening where it's like, okay, cool. We need to stop him. And they all kind of basically accept that this is going to be a suicide mission. That, that was a cool moment because was it Magneto, I think, that said, you know, you, you shouldn't go. For, yeah, this is a suicide mission. Kelly's not worth rescuing. And the Professor Xavier, this is one of the first times we saw him like doubt. And he just like looked, he looked over at Storm and said, is he right? Like for Xavier to say, like ask Storm. Yeah, is Magneto right? Like what? What a trip that would be to be in that room. Right. <laughs> you you see a loss in confidence, but at the same time, you see them accept if they don't do it, they have they have to go in and win, or there will be a civil war. Is is their their thought on it? And Magneto again, he's like, you guys have already lost. It's in Magneto's eyes, it's not even a suicide mission. It's just futile because it's oh, it's already a decided outcome. Wolverine attempts to hold Jubilee back, and I thought it was a really great moment for Jubilee because she essentially says, "This is the most important thing in my life. I'm going with you." And Wolverine 
he, he reneges on holding her back and he's like, okay, this is the most important thing in my life too. I get it. Yeah. And because this kind of solidifies what Jubilee has said, like kind of more in a happy sense in previous episodes that this is her home. So this is kind of really um, establishing that in a serious sense. She's not just saying as a teenager. And that that whole sequence was basically kind of the like, oh, captain, my captain kind of thing where like they wanted a time stand up. Yep. I did make a note, though, that the music did a lot of heavy lifting in that scene because otherwise it was just like cartoon characters standing up. <laughs> but with like the the heroic music and the pacing of like one by one kind of going. Yep. And then we see everybody is on the jet and they take off and, and you get Magneto calling them fools, heroic fools. The brave are always first to die. I had a question here. Do they leave Magneto the mansion alone? Yeah. They, tr- <laughs> I think- they trust this man. I think that goes to if he wanted to attack them, he could have have already. And there is a respect amongst Xavier and Magneto that if you meet in a pitched battle, that's where you end up fighting. Even when they did the subterfuge with Sabretooth, I think to Magneto's credit, he honors the fact that Xavier and the X-Men saved him on the ship because he might not have been able to get himself out. He may have been unconscious or in so much pain or whatever that he could have died there. So I think yeah. he he's going to honor that and, and not yeah. just go be the most obvious destructive villain he could at that point. Although now that we've shown how much trust the X-Men have in just a lot of people. Just staying, everybody. Staying at the Fucking mansion, everybody can hang out in the mansion without like restraint. Suddenly the mansion being destroyed every week makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> So Master Mold starts to activate Sentinels, Storm, Jubilee, Rogue. They stay up top. And then you see everybody else in the elevator start to go down. Elevator gets to the bottom. There's a bunch of Sentinels waiting for it. And the big dumb doofuses put their face down to an ace of spades, which is, that's the funniest line of the entire. Yeah, that was I, that was my, like, Rod's favorite line. It, was, it wasn't Storm again. It, it was a cartoon moment because the was, line even was like, what is that object? And then the ice stoops down his face next to him. He's like, it appears to be the Ace of Spades. And so either the Sentinels play poker or they decided that the information to pump into their brains would not be like more thinking power. It's like information about playing cards. I can't see it taking up that much hard drive space. Yeah. It's just, Although to be, I mean, it's, it's 1990s hard drives. You didn't have a lot yeah. of space in those. You you couldn't fit an entire Wikipedia into a Sentinel. Yeah. And the way they framed though that this is face getting next to it. It was a Tom and Jerry moment. It's like, what is this? Yep. So blows up. And obviously that is meant to act as bait. And the Sentinels fly up the chute from the underground base that they're in. All of them. No sensors to see the four mutants that they've gone by, which or, is fine. Or recognize that they have been bottlenecked. You nope. know, But they know what an Ace of Spades is. They know what the Ace of Spades <laughs> is. And then you start to see the three three slash four person team up top where rogue is just wrecking shop on the sentinel she is she is taking out multiple sentinels by herself and professor x is piloting the jet still and using blasters on the jet and then magneto shows up and and makes a nice save yeah and he gives the great quote of did you think i was gonna let you die alone which that you that you're like oh yeah you, you were college buddies weren't you yeah also I'd love the a second cartoon moment of Xavier piloting the Blackbird with the cockpit full of containers. We, we'll get to that okay. one. Yeah, we'll get to that one. But yeah. <laughs> also, that means he had to move them in there because at this scene, right? we don't see all that. Yep. 
Anyway, cartoon. Down in the in the mines, you you've had a little bit of a, a split up. You have Wolverine and Gambit going off in one direction. You have Cyclops and Jean going another. There's a moment where you see a bunch of Sentinels pop up. And Wolverine decides he's going to save his favorite Cajun and he locks himself into a room and he literally like does the latch. Yeah. I like that. It's it's Gambit can do a lot of things, but he is not strong enough to unlatch that door. <laughs> you could blow it up, though. Which foreshadowing. Yep. Foreshadowing. <laughs> so Trask is trying to prevent having to do the surgery on Kelly, which I, I that dude is he's a brilliant scientist that does not mean he should be doing brain surgery yeah and he says to to master mold you were made to protect humans from mutants and master mold blows his fucking mind because he goes mutants are human humans need to be protected from themselves and that is the logic that got master mold to i don't even want to call it an evil plan because the sentinels aren't sentient yeah it's he's being he's following through with his programming and watching this through not 10 year old eyes it it just struck me as like an inanimate being even understands more than bigoted people yep the logic because you can replace mutants replace it with any other word for another person yep like are human done right (laughs) but then of course it takes the standard sci-fi jump which is you blank are humans humans need to be protected from themselves and the way that you protect humans from themselves is usually destroy or enslave them because we can't be trusted to make our own decisions isn't that kind of like the irobot also something like 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 that it's a sci-fi trope It's, it's a trope that has been done in a lot of different sci-fi. X-Men was the first one to ever do it in 1993. (laughs) I mean, there were a lot of things that did it after X-Men. Yeah. So as this is happening, Jean decides to use her telekinesis to to move Senator Kelly. And then she drops him when when Master Mole sees him. Yeah. And I just thought that was great because it's like this dude's been knocked out (laughs) and he's literally getting knocked into consciousness by being dropped by Jean. There was a cool line that somebody, and it doesn't matter who, yelled at Master Mole like, destroy them. And the Master Mold continues his logic, and he says, I do not have to destroy because I do not fear. And once again, looking at like non... It was Cyclops who was basically pushing him to try to dis- like, like come at me. Mm-hmm. And Master Mold is like, I'm not scared of you. So, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, but especially after the mutants are human line, it was like, yeah. So the only people that are militant about this or trying to fight this are the ones who are scared. Yep. It just kind of is. If it was subtle before, I don't think it's subtle anymore about like the parallels to like racism and homophobia and just overall bigotry and stuff. And once again, coming from like a giant 3D printer, essentially, he even understands the 3D printer is smarter than a bigot. And I will, <laughs> I, I am happy to be quoted saying that in pretty much any scenario in public. Pretty much be the Instagram quote this week. Yeah. <laughs> so as Cyclops is distracting the Sentinel Master Mold, who doesn't feel the need to destroy him, Trask, who definitely fears Master Mold, decides he's going to set off a chain of events, and he uses the laser that was meant for surgery <laughs> to ignite the giant propane tank slash lines that go through this entire mine, which has to be dangerous. Yeah. And starts setting off a chain reaction. Cyclops tells Gene to get Kelly up to the top and he's not going to leave anybody behind again. Callbacks. Yep. Great callback because, you know, while we know that Beast wasn't killed, Cyclops believes that, you know, it's still he still believes it is his fault that Morph is dead. Yeah. Character arcs, man. And yep. Minor detail in this one. I realized that we we've 
find out that Cyclops has like a HUD in his glasses. Yes. <laughs> I don't think we've seen that yet. He's like, oh, okay, this kind of makes sense. He had AR before any of us did. Yep. So there, there's a great moment between Gambit and Wolverine. All the Sentinels start retreating back into the mines. Magneto is protecting Rogue and Storm and Jubilee. You see Gambit and Wolverine on a pile of Sentinels. And Wolverine's like, well, if I'm going to like sacrifice myself to save you, let me do it next time. <laughs> and he lost his shirt. He lost his shirt. His he He still had the collar, but the shirt. Yeah. He was like, I am showing you hairy pecs right now. Which, very purposeful detail to leave in animation. He's a hairy dude. (laughs) Well, I mean, just the no shirt thing in that specific scene. I think it was because they didn't want to showcase, like, blood and damage. It's just kind of funny that Wolverine, his shirt is decimated. Yeah. Gambit, pretty okay. Yeah. (laughs) Well, he was behind that door. No. Yeah. And then, like Rod was saying, Cyclops uses his HUD that is in his visor to track down the guys, pops a hole in the wall. And then using his optic blast, he digs upward. I'm assuming vaporizing-ish the the dirt ahead of him. Yeah, i gotten used to just doing cartoon logic at this point because we we didn't see the ramifications of that on the other side. I have have seen a video game where you can do this and I'm going to stick with it. Yep, and they pop up through the surface when everybody's like, oh, where's everybody else? And then they're they're there very quickly, which is great. Rogue runs up to Gambit, and this is the first time you've seen real affection between the two of them, where she hugs him and puts her hand in front of his mouth, obviously still in a glove, and kisses the backside of her hand. And in a very Leia Han moment, she goes, I hate you. And then Gambit gets a boner. You know, they didn't animate that, and I'm very happy they did He's wearing armor. So. Yeah. Yeah, he just has a cod piece there constantly. And then to kick off Rod's second favorite scene of the entire episode, Master Mole blasts through the top of this mountain. Mm-hmm. So obviously the propane fire was not enough to to destroy him. And he's wireless now. He's wireless, so he can he can get up and move, which is a great design. Upgrade. Yeah, that's a great design. He makes things out of plastic and you got rid of the power cable. So Xavier decides he is going to basically, I don't want to say kamikaze because he's not going in with intent of killing himself on it. But we don't know that at the time. Right, but he he decides to go full speed at the Master Mold. Magneto hops on top to shield it as attacks are coming. Xavier says, you are the living embodiment of all that is evil and unjust in humanity. You must be destroyed. And he does eject at the last second and Magneto gives the, oh, well, now we're even. Yeah. And I want to add a note. This is what I was alluding to earlier. While Xavier is in the Blackbird, oh you get yeah, a, I did. I, you know, I buried the lead. No, it's fine. You get you get a glimpse. They don't acknowledge it. You just get a glimpse of the cockpit, and it's full of containers that are literally labeled gas and TNT, gasoline, TNT. And that I, is really dangerous. It's da- yeah, dangerous inside of that. And also, once again, super cartoon moment. It's like a Looney Tunes version of containers. Now I need to find real world TNT <laughs> boxes and take pictures of them for Well, you. I'm sure they have some version of that, but just to have it like all facing toward, you know, like yep. it, in this, the, I don't know. It, it was just really funny because if you just took a screenshot of that, it looks like it was like a fan made meme or something because it's just Professor Xavier like focused on moving forward at the 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 steering wheel of a surrounded by acme-esque yeah, yeah. tnt boxes <laughs> yep so we get the we we get the big win and they destroy master mold we see senator kelly who has changed his position with regards to mutants at first you don't really realize it though because he acknowledges that mutant powers are dangerous to humans but we can't oppress the good because of those who aren't as this is happening beast is reacting still in his cell he starts quoting macbeth specifically 
Which and, this specific quote, yeah. I know I alluded in another one of Beast quotes in another episode that it may have come from a depressing poem. This one is definitely depressing. Yeah. <laughs> like this one, I think the meaning of this, once again, I'm not a Shakespearean expert, but from what I remember from high school, this particular, or Macbeth in general, but this particular quote was basically about like, there's like really no hope because things are just going to keep moving the way they are. So interesting, interesting choice. Beast is so much smarter than you, Rod, that yeah. he finds the actual meaning. I, I'm going to, that's what I'm going to That's go all, That's with. all I got. Yeah. And then we see Beast is released from prison. Yeah, and Jubilee gets to be the one to tell him. And it's a really sweet moment. Yep. And then we go to the final scene of the episode where Cyclops and Jean are, are together. And Cyclops decides to propose to Jean. I like, initially I wrote the note like Scott has the least romantic proposal. But when I look at this not through hopeless romantic eyes, that, that seems like a very realistic, grounded relationship proposal. It's like, should we get married? Yeah, it... it- it feels like the way that you you'll hear couples talk about like, oh, yeah, you know, he proposed, but we had talked about it for like six months beforehand. And I feel like that's what it is. It's like it is their first time having that conversation because he doesn't have a ring ready or anything yeah. like that. Because and I'm not calling anybody specific out, but we get this is actually it's not really about it's just but it, it's happened so much that it's a generalization i, I would venture to say 100 percent, if not 99.9 percent of the time friends or people that i'm aware with with like straight dudes who are trying to fix a relationship they think that the proposal like a big grand gesture in front of people like like that dude that the adele concert that happened in la i like how you said i'm not calling anybody else yeah. out and you've called out our one fan yeah. who's an adele concert goer. oh there you go <laughs> <laughs> yeah I actually, I hope he's listening. That'd be really That'd fun. That'd be dope. But yeah, there's, there was, I, I don't think I know him. He nope. proposed at an Adele concert. And I just think of like all my female friends that are interested in men that are like, that would be my worst nightmare because I can't say no because I'm on, I'm in an Adele concert. No, no, that's, that, that yeah. is, that is an album ready <laughs> it, to be written yeah. if you say no. And it's being televised. Among, also, the, this was at the Griffith Observatory, which I know on paper sounded romantic, but because it was there, all the audience were like A-listers, like celebrities and stuff. So that also, you picked a thing that is, you could tell like a, you know, not to generalize dudes, but generalizing dudes. He, I know it seems like Adele concert would be great, but you propose to your future fiance, luckily she said yes, before hearing like an hour's worth of songs about divorce. <laughs> so rewinding back to Cyclops, yeah. he, he did, essentially he, says we should right. get married to Gene. Gene gives the reaction of, well, if we have a kid, they're going to be a mutant, which I think is the first time it has been addressed of having two mutant parents, at least mm-hmm. within the context of the show. That is a, a new topic of conversation, too. And I don't know, because I don't know specifically like the Lee Walds or whoever wrote the specific episode, if this was on purpose. But if it wasn't, or if it was, really good on you. If it wasn't, I'm glad that your mindset was in the right place. And I don't want to speak for everybody, but as an Asian kid that grew up in Indiana, specifically in the 90s, this conversation came up race-wise in a little bit of a parallel, specifically with like mixed kids. So I remember having the talk with my parents where my, my mom, but also my my parents, like younger friends who were getting married, thinking about kids, talking about how should they have mixed kids like if one parent was a different ethnicity than the other because how would they like be received in the world and 
I do remember this moment as a kid because I don't I don't know I don't know I can't say that it directly affected me like at the time but it definitely like seeded in my head that oh superheroes go through this too which is kind of a fucked up thing to think about if you think about like you shouldn't have to live like that but I thought it was interesting that they brought it up in like a kids animated show and they it was representation without like broadcast uh, i guess they literally broadcasted it it was with, literally broadcast but yeah. without like magnifying it or whatever you know i mean like we're we we are progressive you know like it right it, it was a genuine concern but also like at the time and i i hope that that's not still the case now but at least at the time it was like something that would come up pretty commonly right and it's interesting thing to bring up and scott gives the the answer of he wouldn't have it any other way but i do think to to your point of like you know them having this kind of conversation and and how it related to race and and stuff like that. You got to remember when comic books were coming out in the sixties, the target audience of them was kids. They started aging up as the readers were aging up and they were realizing it wasn't just 10 year olds were the only ones buying books. It was the 17 year olds who were buying books 10 years later. And then the 27 year olds, 20 years later. So the conversation had always been there with regard to here is a group that is being oppressed. That is that is a part of, you know, the the ethos of of the X Men is the you know dealing with that oppression. Yeah. So, so I don't know. It's a really beautifully like subtle representative moment because I I definitely my parents definitely sat me down and had that talk with me because I I don't my father specifically I don't think I, I think he wasn't against like interracial relationships specifically but he had concern for me of like what i would do if i was seen with a caucasian woman right and if i had kids that you know weren't white passing and stuff and i don't know, weird conversation happened it's true this is how that was at least at that time and where i was so yeah i know wild thing to just see at the end of a show just like at the time seemingly out of nowhere <laughs> yeah and then we get the final moments of the show, which I have some interesting tidbits on as well. But the scene starts to zoom out and you you find out that what we're seeing is via a surveillance camera. And the effect that is placed over the animation is interesting because it is slightly like CG-esque animation. It is not, it's, it's, it's not the exact same art style as the drawn animation we've seen prior. It has an effect to it. And you hear a voice, because they said some sort of comment about hope for the future. And then this evil voice laughs and says, hope for the future. Sinister knows what your future holds. So any X-Men fan, this is not a spoiler. Yeah. There's one guy with Sinister in his name. Cool. So that was that was the episode, Rod. Yeah, and that, that was a that was a great season finale. Like we said, kind kind of could arguably be like a third part of Days of Future Past. I get why they didn't say that because they literally weren't time traveling. Yep. Loaded. I said this about a couple episodes back, but this had a lot of the things that I liked about the show at the time in one episode. Yeah. So some of the comments around the show are the episode specifically. They needed to wrap up a story. So this was essentially the wrap-up of the Sentinel story that started in, in episode one, obviously. It was important because it showcased challenges of Xavier's vision, because this was, to your point, the first time Xavier really faltered in his vision of, have we failed? And that's going to play a part in some of what we're going to see moving forward. Originally, the sinister ending was not the ending of the episode. Oh, what was it? Uh, so... It was a very positive ending. There was some sort of illusion of maybe Morph had survived. And it was only after 
they had found out the show had gotten renewed for its second season that they retroactively added the sinister aspect on top of it. Now, see, that's good writing. Why can't they keep doing that with shows? You mean instead of every Netflix show where we watch it, get a cliffhanger, and then they say, oh, it's not going to be renewed. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Yeah, so many of them. Yep. So, and even even before Netflix, there's in the DVD era, like when you when the other TV stuff, you're like, okay, I, I get a whole series, and then it just doesn't finish. Yep, cancellations were were awful because this was great. It was, I mean, luckily they were they were in a creative spot where they were able to pull it off and continue a story in a meaningful way. But if this had been one season of a show, would it have had the legacy that it has to this day? Maybe, but. I mean, it's kind of like the ultimate what if when it comes to the show of can you judge something's lasting effect if it didn't get its full run either? Yeah. Like same thing with Batman. If Batman, the animated series only went for one season, would it still be talked about as one of the best or the best animated superhero show, arguably, yeah. you know? And this this episode, I wouldn't necessarily say had like a happy ending it, it, the way you said it before they added the sinister ending. But at least it had a happy enough ending if it was the end of the show. It had a hopeful ending. Yeah, it was like, okay, these guys are going to go on and do good things. It'll yeah. be fine. Yep. So we are done with episode one. Rob, it's season one. Before I close this out, do you have final thoughts? No, I just love the show and love what all the messages it had decades, literally, yep. before a lot of other media had. Well, thank you everybody for joining us as we wrap up season one. We're not taking a eight month break in between <laughs> episodes, though. We will be back next week with the start of season two. If you have any thoughts, make sure to drop them into the comments for either the YouTube upload or the official Instagram post of this episode. Those are the animated ones where Rob takes context less <laughs> quotes from me and then I put a image over them that makes no sense. And if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on the podcast app of your choosing. Thank you to whoever has gone in there and give us rating on Apple Podcasts in particular. I've seen those and we have a high rating right now. So oh, nice. Yeah, so thank you guys for that. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Caxbox to be continued. Yep. And if you haven't watched a series yet, don't look at the Disney Plus thumbnails. They spoil the next season. Yeah. Yeah.